0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Slamini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining our post-draft episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify, and you can also find us on any of the ESPN platforms. This is jam-packed with draft stuff, and I thought this was a really good draft for the Jets. You never know. But on paper, it has the kind of things you're looking for when you're evaluating a draft. And let me throw in this one note at the top. Scouts Incorporated, which is a group of talent evaluators that works for ESPN, been working for ESPN since 2004, they grade hundreds of players every year in the draft. Detailed scouting reports. And they assign grades on the one hundred scale. And the Jets, according to Scouts Inc., drafted three players with a grade of 90 or above. Zach Wilson, 93, Elijah Vera Tucker, 91, and Elijah Moore, 90. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, since they started doing business in 2004, this is only the third time that Scouts Inc. has, that a team has drafted three players with a 90 or above grade according to Scouts Inc. The other two times, interestingly enough, both the Miami Dolphins in 2005 and again in 2008, they drafted three players in each of those years with 90 or above grades. The Jets do it this year. Like I said, no guarantees. Those old Dolphin teams only made the playoffs once in a 15-year span that encompassed those two drafts. So you just never know. But I'm going to go through some of my notes that I've been compiling through the last few months on players, through conversations with personnel people and jet people. And so <clears throat> here's what I, I just want to hit the bullet points. Now, on Zach Wilson, I was really impressed by the way he handled himself with the media on his Zoom calls after getting drafted. He might look like he's 14 years old, but he certainly acted maturely. He handled it well. That's important. That's important. The uh, as I've said before, the franchise quarterback is the CEO of your organization. So that's a really good sign. Uh, if the Jets, if he's as good as the Jets think he is, then this will be a successful draft. He is the key to the draft, regardless of how the other players do. If they hit on Wilson and he becomes a top ten quarterback, this will be regarded as a great draft. It's as simple as that. So. Uh, I do think he'll be their opening day starter. Essentially, they have no one else right now competing for that job. Uh, One thing, a couple of things that I've learned about him through the process that maybe I didn't know at the beginning, I think he has strong intangibles. I think he wants to be great. And that's something you don't always see in highly drafted players. People I've talked to just say he has a burning desire to be great. They call it a chip on his shoulder. It's kind of a cliche, but, you know, I think he was – you know, I think it bothered him that he wasn't as highly recruited at a high school as he wanted to be. He was a three-star. He wanted to go to Utah. They ignored him. I think that created a chip on his shoulder. Uh, the, the shoulder injury in college, a lot of people wrote him off. I think that fueled him even more. So that, that is an interesting part that I've learned about him. And we'll see. Well, it's all in front of him. Like I said before, the one concern with him, aside from durability, is the level of competition. Now, I went back and checked BYU's 2020 schedule. Out of that schedule, Zach Wilson only faced four. Four defensive players that were drafted this year. And so that is a weak schedule that he faced. Only two of those guys were drafted in the first three rounds. So that is the concern with Zach Wilson. Elijah Vera Tucker, they get him at the 14th pick. Obviously, they trade up nine spots. If you're going strictly on the point value chart, the Jets gave up too much, the equivalent of about a fourth-round pick too much. But look, they had a top-ten grade on him. Every scout I talked to around the league loved the guy. Not one negative comment. I spoke to a source with the team picking above the Jets when they were at 23, and that source told me he's pretty certain his team would have picked Vera Tucker in other words, he never would have gotten to the Jets had they stayed at 23. So they had the extra draft capital. I commend Joe Douglas for making the bold move and going up and get him, getting him. The analytics people will say it was a bad trade because of the points. I say when you think you have a special talent and you can get him, you get him. So we'll see. Elijah Moore in the second round. I know the Jets had a first-round grade on him. They get him at 34. Robert Sala called him a gadget guy. He's not just a slot receiver, even though 75% of his uh, receptions last year came out of the slot. You're going to see him different places in the formation, sometimes in the backfield, slot, wing. He's one of those guys. One scout told me he reminds me of Steve Smith Jr., of course, the great receiver from Carolina. Small, about 5'9", but tough. Tough and fearless. I think that's what you're going to see out of Elijah Moore. He'll be their Debo Samuel. He'll get the ball on jet sweeps. You'll see him on bubble screens. The Jets, I love this pick. Now, they had other needs, and you could argue this was a luxury pick, but they needed a home run hitter on offense. Anybody who watched their offense last year knows they did not have a home run hitter. I think Elijah Moore can be that guy. Now, I do know this going into the second round. I do think they were leaning toward Elijah Moore, but I also know the Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa was in the conversation. The concern there was an unresolved medical issue that our Adam Schefter later reported as a heart issue. Apparently, it is a non-issue, according to Karamoa's camp. But at the time, the Jets were uh, thinking about it, and that happened a lot in this draft. For a lot of teams, you know, with no combine due to the pandemic, you know, they were getting medical information on players right up until the last second. I think that was a factor with Owusu Karamoa. But like I said, I think they were leaning in the direction of Elijah Moore anyway. Fourth round, they get Michael Carter. First, let me say this. They had no third round picks and they would have picked a corner in the third round. I think that was their plan. There was a run on corners in the third round. They traded those picks, so they wait till the fourth and they go offense again. Michael Carter, running back out of North Carolina. I suggest go watching his go online and watch his tape. He is a fun guy to watch. Now he's small, but he's shifty. He's got some power to him. He's not your typical scat back. I think the Jets see him as a guy who can be effective between the tackles. Uh, interesting note on him. Uh, he's 5'8, 201. The guy he reminds me of, and it's so perfect that he was the guy who announced the pick, is Leon Washington, who right now is an assistant special teams coach for the Jets. Leon was 5'8", 192. Carter was the 107th pick. Leon was 117 in 2006. Leon came out of Florida State. And actually, Michael Carter grew up near Florida State, very close to Florida State, on the panhandle at Navarra, Florida. So, uh... I thought a lot of similarities there. Uh, The one negative on Carter, one scout told me that he's a guy who just really needs a good offensive line. Uh, He needs open space, doesn't create as much on his own. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but we'll see. Now, that was the end of the offensive run. For the first time since 1983, hello, Ken O'Brien, the Jets started a draft with four straight offensive players. Now, they insist that wasn't the plan. And it would just fell that way. However, I think it probably was part of the conversation. They surround Zach Wilson with a blocker. Elijah Vera Tucker will be a day one starter at left guard. Count on it. Sorry, Alex Lewis. His days are probably numbered. Elijah Moore may not start, but he will be involved in the offense from day one. Count on it. And I also think there's a good chance Michael Carter will be uh, an early contributor. The Jets are, it's pretty wide open in the backfield, so I think you could see him early as well. Also as a kick returner. Now, we're going to hit on the last few picks. Uh, Now they shift. They go total defense now. And here's the sleeper. Here's the name to remember. I think the Jets got one here. Jamie and Sherwood, safety out of Auburn in the fifth round. He is a guy, now mark my words, I think He will be their opening day starter at weak side linebacker. He's a hybrid. They've already said they're going to use him at linebacker. The Jets play a 4-3. This is a different world from the 3-4 they played in in past years. They want linebackers who are a little smaller, but who are fast, can run, hit, cover. Jamie and Sherwood is a guy the Jets felt really good about getting in the fifth round. He had a bad pro day. He ran a 4-7-4. So he slipped. A lot of teams are beholden to the stopwatch. Here's a guy who was a tackling machine at Auburn. He loves contact. He's a physical player. He just has an ability to find the ball carrier, a nose for the ball, if you will. And the Jets think they got one. He's 6'2", 216. He'll play in the 220s, maybe even up to 230. So there you go. There's my sleeper in this draft, Jamie and Sherwood. Now, they did get Michael Carter II becoming the first team in draft history to draft two linebackers in the uh, two players of the same name in the same draft. Like, how how crazy is that? Made for some good laughs in the draft room. I think uh, Michael Carter uh, is a free safety slash nickel, so you're going to see him in the slot. He's fast, ran under 4-4, and he was a four-year player at Duke. Don't see many of those these days. Um so interesting guy, you know, and he and I looked up, I went through every play by play for North Carolina and Duke. They played the two Carters played against each other four times, and they were actually involved in some collisions, some tackles, but there was one play in last year's game. Michael Carter caught a pass and scored a touchdown, and he absolutely trucked Michael Carter the second at the goal line. I'm sure that will come up maybe in some locker room conversations but uh, an interesting side note now out of the remaining guys Jason Pinnock the safe, the corner at a pit another corner at a Kentucky Brandon Eccles and then a defensive tackle Jonathan Marshall at of Arkansas look when you and also uh, in the 6th round Hamsa Nazarildin whose name I will guarantee to mispronounce or misspell at some point so I apologize ahead of time he's interesting Safety linebacker, again, a hybrid. He'll be playing linebacker. Great size, 6'3", 215, runs well. Just, he said, he told us on the Zoom call, he considers himself a first-round talent. Here's the interesting and unfortunate thing about him. He tore his ACL in the final game of the 2019 season. And he was going to probably go pro after the end of that year. So he if he gets through that game, he declares for the draft – He's going to be a second-round pick, according to my scouting people. He's going to be a second-round pick. Instead, he blows out his knee. He comes back to school. He misses the first seven games as he's rehabbing. He gets in for the final two games. He plays okay. But from what I've been told, he's still battling with that knee. And that's why he dropped to the sixth round. Even with the knee, some scouting uh, you know, observers felt that he was a third or fourth round pick. The Jets get him in the sixth because of some concern over the knee. You know, who knows? Maybe they got a steal here. If he's healthy, I think he'll be able to help. Definitely on special teams. Out of the corners they drafted and the nickel with Carter, Pinnock, and Eccles. Look, they're late round picks. You don't know. I think the Jets would be thrilled if one of them turned into a, you know, every, every down player. So, They can contribute on special teams. The Jets are really, really young and have a lot of numbers at corner. They're still missing a big-time starter. I think they're still looking. I doubt they get Richard Sherman, but they're still looking. And I think they'll probably ride it into training camp just to see how these young guys go. Like, why not? Uh, This is Robert Salah's specialty. He coaches defense. Let's see if he can coach him up. So that's the draft. I mean, like I said, I think the Jets are going to get three. Offensive guys who come in right away and play. I can't remember the last time I said that. And I think Carter could make it four, the running back. Out of the defensive guys, Jamie and Sherwood, he's my sleeper. I think you'll see him on the field from the get-go. And out of the other guys, you know, probably special teamers. Maybe down the road you hit on one of those. But for for the most part, I think Joe Douglas did a really good job. (whistles) I'd like to welcome former BYU quarterback and former NFL quarterback, John Beck, also one of the foremost quarterback instructors in the country. Uh, He's worked with some of the uh, biggest names in the business, including Zach Wilson, and that's why we're so happy to have him. Uh, John, thanks so much for the time.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Rich.
0: So, you know, you've had such a connection with uh, Zach throughout this process, And I think Jet fans are are dying to know, let's get to the quarterback stuff in a second. What type of person, what type of leader are they getting in Zach Wilson?
1: Well, he's a football junkie. He's a kid that will just, he loves every opportunity that he has to get better, to improve at something. He's extremely dedicated. When I look at the sacrifices that he's made throughout his life, uh, Even before I met him, just the stories like I had heard a little bit here and there about who he was, but having a chance to meet him, to be around his family, to watch how how much to him and the things that he was willing to do, I think that just speaks volumes to the person that he is because, you know, this game is about dedication. It's about being committed to your craft. When you get to the NFL level, there are so many talented people. The way to separate yourself is from the work that you put in. And also how you learn from those experiences. And when I look at Zach, he's always so willing to work and learn from those experiences. And I think it's going to give him a great opportunity to lead his football team through playing well. There are a lot of people that can have great leadership qualities, but at the end of the day, you have to make plays. I don't care how well you can address a team. I don't care. You know, you you can put in all the hours you want. But you've got to make plays on Sunday and Monday nights. That's what your teammates care about. They want a guy that can do that. And I believe because of the things I just used to describe Zach, he will be a guy that makes plays.
0: We've all read about how he, during the quarantine last year when the nation was pretty much shut down, how he made a 10-hour drive from Utah to your place in, in Southern California just to work with you. And I'm wondering if you could just uh, elaborate on that a little bit and, you know, just the level of commitment and what, what kind of stuff was accomplished during those sessions.
1: Yeah. I think when that quarantine happened or, you know, the kind of the shutdown in schools, the, the big thing was the universities were not able to keep their players on campus for workouts. So they basically had to shut things down. I bet there was a lot of players across the country who said, I don't even know if we're gonna have a football season. And I bet that their their workouts, their commitment level, the intensity at which they trained, I bet it went down significantly. Zach, on the other hand, saw it as an opportunity to be out here more. He maximized that opportunity. For those couple years leading up to last year, he would come out at every opportunity. If he had like a free weekend, or if they gave him like a you know a long weekend, maybe Friday to Monday off. He was always calling, like, I want to come out. Well, all of a sudden, when that happened, where it was potentially a few months, where they couldn't be with their school, he literally set up a schedule to be out here as much as possible. And I've told this to people before in interviews I've done. He trained like a professional going into this season, where everything, the reason he was in California, it was all dedicated to himself improving as a player. So many people would love the opportunity to, sweet, no school, no commitment. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to book a trip to Mexico. Everything that Zach did was geared towards improving as a player so that he could have a great season. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and
0: that's no easy drive. That's a 10 hour drive to, make, to to go to California from Utah. So that just shows you like he was uh, seemingly obsessed with becoming better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think that that story, you know, it things that came up every single week, every single week to where. I know for BYU fans, it was like, Oh my gosh, like, are they going to mention this? I like all the time, but I think it's because it always spoke volumes. Not everybody's willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there's people that are very committed people. They would do that maybe for like two or three weeks, but then they would have checked the box off. They would have felt like they did it. The really cool thing that Zach always does is he's very consistent and you have to be that, uh, In terms of being able to be prepared as an NFL player, you have to watch so much tape. You have to be involved in your meetings. You have all these practices, and it's a long season. If you lack the ability to consistently do the same thing over and over again, you're going to get those feelings of boredom. You're going to have to shake it up by doing something else. It's the people that can do the very monotonous things over and over and over that get that are able to keep stacking bricks on top of each other. And that's an ability and a trait that I think Zach is really, really good at. He does not get bored or tired of the same thing over and over again because he knows the value he's going to get back from it.
0: Now, we were talking to Joe Douglas right after the draft, and he said it was the pro day. Uh, on March 26th that really cemented it for him, you know, that was like the final clincher and and they were going to pick Zach. Uh, Talk about the pro day and, you know, the type type of interaction that you had with the Jets people who were there. And, uh, and also I understand a lot of the route concepts he threw in that pro day, uh, Robert Salas said they were some of the routes that, you know, they'll be using in their offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, we knew the eyes that were going to be looking at him. Um, because of my time spent in that Shanahan system, Kubiak system, which a lot of these guys, you know, the Jets have so many ties to the 49ers. Um, So I knew basically how to shape it. And I knew that there were other teams there, right? The 49ers were there, the Falcons could be there, they run the same offense. And I knew that by scattering and sprinkling these certain concepts and kind of showing Um, Zach's ability to drive the football down the field off of the play passes that I know they'll use with routes that I know they use. There are very specific routes that are, you could say, 18 to 24 yards down the field that are specific to that offense. I made sure we put all of them in. There were plays there off of their keeper game that are shots down the field that are specific to those offenses. And I knew it would give them an opportunity to evaluate Zach's abilities. And we kind of tried to do some wild throws. I'm a big believer in you got to show the staples. You got to show kind of what we call the benchmark throws. They're litmus test throws that you see combines pro days all the time. You got to throw those. Then you got to throw, make the ones that are specific to certain offenses. Well, we knew let's have these in and then they got to have the show off throws. And what we kind of tried to do was tailor some of those wow show off throws to the jets offense specifically. So I'm happy that it worked out like that. I'm happy to hear that the, pro day was such a big thing for them because that's what it was supposed to be in our eyes and what Zach wanted to accomplish
0: well I think his last ro- uh, throw went viral you know on social media when he threw he rolled left and, and threw over to the right hash I think it was about 50 or 60 yards in the air and within minutes that was that was all over social media so um, that was a pretty good pretty good shot on your uh, part there putting that one in
1: There's a good story behind that. So the cool part about that was Zach really tailored that throw. We originally scripted it here in California to Mm -hmm. do it to the right, where he was going to move on the, like on the move to the right, put his feet in the ground and try to throw back across to the left. And it was probably about four days before the pro day. He said, Hey, I want to flip that. I actually want to go left, throw it back to the right and not get my feet set. So, you know, I, I was happy to it's always about them, right? It's supposed to be their pro day, their throws. So it was really cool for me to see Zach basically tailor that throw in himself and then have it go so well.
0: I think the Jets, uh, from what I understand, were in contact with you uh, during the, the scouting, for the pre-draft process. I mean, obviously you played in the league. You were at BYU. You, you know what it's like. Uh, what kind of interaction did you have with the Jets, uh, Joe Douglas, and, and their scouts during the run-up to the draft?
1: So the first time I'd ever met uh, Coach Sala was there at the Pro Day. Joe Douglas was in the scouting department at the Baltimore Ravens when I was there. But obviously, as a player, you know, you're not dealing with the scouting department. So uh, my chance that I had to meet him there was kind of the first time that he's in this position now. And those were new guys to me. Right. Uh, But. Known Mike LaFleur for a while. I played for his brother Matt when I was in uh, Washington with the Redskins. Matt and I had stayed in contact for years. Uh, I also did some work for the 49ers and their quarterbacks for a few years when Mike was there under Kyle Shanahan. So I saw him a lot of the time in the building at the practice fields. Um, We had been in communication here or there for different reasons. So it was really cool to kind of go through this experience. Mike would talk to me a lot leading up to the pre-draft process. You know, they had questions about Zach kind of throughout the process when their interest for Zach really became high. And they knew Zach was their guy. We would talk about a lot of things. So it's cool for me to see a guy that I've, I've known for so long. I've seen him enter this offense in Mike LaFleur, learn from Kyle, learn from his brother, and now he's going to be the offensive coordinator for Zach. It's really cool.
0: What kind of, what kind of questions did he have about Zach?
1: Well, you know, they just want to get to know him, right, or tell me, like, they know that I know the offense. They know that I know what type of throw, of throwing ability you have to have to make the throws in the offense. And they would ask me, you know, tell us how it relates. Uh, because we train so many NFL veterans, they can also kind of use them as markers. Like, well, hey, how does he compare to this guy? What is these throws on these routes compared to this guy that I know you guys train? And that way it gives him a really good idea. And then, you know, they would ask a lot of the questions in the beginning where tell us about his size. Uh, when they're watching somebody on tape, they don't know exactly what his size is like, especially because of how big BYU's linemen were. So, all right, John, like you're standing next to him. Tell us how tall he is compared to you. Tell us, you know, if you were to describe his movements, like we can see them on tape, but, you know, how fluid are they here? What do you think his best quality is? What do you think his best you know, mental trait, physical trait. They can ask me all those questions knowing I've been around them for so long. And really that's the data, that's the information that they want to grab. And usually that happens at the combine, right? Usually that happens during their private workouts. No combine, no private workouts. They kind of got to go into this thing blind. So it was just, I ended up being a good resource for them that they could, you know, ask me any question they wanted. And I basically had three years of experience being around Zach to answer them.
0: And it sounds like you and Mike LaFleur spent a lot of time on the phone together.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were there were a lot of conversations, you know, and, it, and, and throughout that time, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, right? Uh, at that time, I'm receiving a lot of phone calls from a lot of different teams. And, you know, you don't know what the Jets are thinking, right? Like he's not coming out and saying exactly how he feels, right? He's asking questions. And so then there was kind of like that change right uh and this may sound funny but it's a lot like the dating game right two people they like each other but they're not telling each other yet that's kind of what it's like right the jets are asking me questions mike wants to know this wants to know that i can tell they have an interest and then all of a sudden things shift right and they're like we really like this guy he's our guy we'd love to get him right that's interesting
0: now, one of the questions about Zach, and, um, you know, it's he's coming from Utah. He's been there his entire life, and now he's going to be coming to New York City to play on a big stage, a lot of pressure. Um, how, how do you think he's going to handle that?
1: So I've said this before in interviews I've done. I think Zach, if he could pick a stage to play on, his nature, like who he is, he would want to pick the biggest stage. I think that's just what he's, like, attracted to in terms of, like, I don't want to play on a smaller stage, I wanna play on the biggest stage and I'm gonna welcome the pressure. And granted, does he know exactly what it's gonna be like or what he's stepping into? No, he doesn't. But I think you have to have that little want to. You have to have that little thing inside of you that maybe is a little bit of cockiness, right? And you're like, yeah, I could do this, I could handle that. I think that helps um, because he's not gonna shy away from anything. He's not gonna be intimidated by anything. If anything, he's gonna view it as a challenge that he, you know, accepts and wants to be a part of that.
0: It's interesting. And and it's also, I don't know if people on the East Coast could appreciate it, but you can answer this question. Playing B, quarterback for BYU is a pretty big deal. I mean, you get a lot of attention, you know, there. Uh, they have their own TV network. There is a lot of media coverage. Could you just talk about, and you certainly went through it yourself, so is there, how much pressure is there just being the BYU quarterback? Cause there's such a long lineage of good quarterbacks that come out of there.
1: Yes, it's huge there. Uh, it's a really cool thing. It's a mantle. You have to carry a responsibility. There are super high expectations. Um, you feel all of those expectations all the time. Uh, it's it, it, like, it's why people pick there because they want to be the, the BYU quarterback. They want to be a part of it. Um, and I know that Zach's family didn't, raise him to you know want to go to byu they were university of utah fans but when you get there you know you walk in on campus and you're in the football offices and you got davy o'brien winners you got a heisman trophy winner you got all americans you have quarterbacks inducted uh, inducted into the college football hall of fame you have first round draft picks you have a super bowl winner like you have all those guys there's this mural of all these quarterbacks that Lavell edwards coached and all of these guys went on to be all americans right? And it was this QB factory. Uh, You know, you have a guy that at one time had the career efficiency record for the NFL. That was a former Davy O'Brien winner, in you know, Steve Young. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of guys that play there. And the reality is the fan base, the media there, they expect you to play like how those guys played. And if you're not meeting that expectation, yeah, you're under the microscope. And they're saying that maybe we need to go find a new quarterback. So I think although the market is not as close to what new york is the the way it feels the expectations the um you know the way that people follow the byu quarterback i think it very much will prepare zach for what he's going to face in the nfl um i know that i got to play in a few big city markets in dc and miami and having that experience at byu did help prepare me for that um and I I think that there's like this fraternity of BYU quarterbacks and you're trying to play to that level. And I think that when you go to the NFL, it's very similar. There's a level of expectation that's there of your quarterback, of your fan base, that you have to meet it. And so I do think it will prepare Zach well for coming from BYU and how he's had to handle those things of being the BYU quarterback.
0: So what's the one or two things, John, that that Zach's going to have to work on his biggest challenges in making the transition from star quarterback at BYU to an NFL first round draft pick. What are the one or two things that, you know, are those going to be his biggest challenges?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, it's going to be playing for a team that is trying to get on the way up. Right. Um, For most of the season, everybody expected the jets to have the first pick of the draft. So, you know, this is the team that they're getting the second pick of the draft for a reason, right? So I think that the, the challenge is the same challenge that every member of that football team is going to face. Every coach on that coaching staff is going to face. They're trying to turn that place around. They're trying to get it out of the hole that it's in. So with that comes challenges. Um, you're not getting the reins to a place that was just playing in the AFC championship game this last year. So that's going to be the primary challenge. The second one is going to be You know, Zach had an opportunity this last year because of the team, the guys around him, you know, the uh, coaches that were there. The situation that they were in, there was an opportunity to play really, really well and to have a lot of amazing plays in every game that they played in. Um, They outmanned and outmatched pretty much every team that they stepped on the field against. That's not going to be the case this next year. Zach has an amazing ability to create plays, to get out on the run, to scramble, to take the big shots. And this last year, he was able to do a lot of that, and most of the time it was successful. He'll learn as he gets in the NFL and plays more games. Sometimes the defense wins. Sometimes, despite your own ability to create plays and to be magical and electric, you have to sometimes just give it to the defense. Like, they won that play. And the smartest, best thing you can do is throw the ball on the ground, take a sack, throw the ball away. Uh, That's a win. This last year, he didn't have to do a lot of those plays because of the situation I described. So I think for him, there's going to be some growing and learning opportunities having to play in an environment where it's either so evenly matched or you're not stepping out on the field uh, with the team that's you know, predicted to win the football game. For a lot of games this year that the Jets step on the field, they will probably be the underdog, and it's going to be a new way to have to play for him. Um, and I saw him have to do it at times during his sophomore year and freshman year when they played some really good opponents. So it's going to be kind of going back to some of those things, but doing it at the NFL level.
0: It's going to be fascinating. I think the fan base is uh, going to embrace him. You know, they're looking. You know, they're so you know desperate for a winner, and I think they'll throw their arms around him and see. I mean, he the talent is obvious. I mean, you could just you know even a layman could put turn on a tape and see what he can do with the football. I mean, he can just flat out throw the football and create plays with his feet. So, uh, I mean, it's got to be exciting for you to see. I know, because I know you have worked with a lot of big name quarterbacks, you know, including in this draft. And uh, how exciting for you just to see one of your pupils become the second pick in the draft.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. This is the first time I've been able to train top picks before, but this is the first time that I've had somebody that I met him when they were 18 years old And the work for this began when they technically could have still been a senior in high school. He graduated early and enrolled at BYU. That's when we met and started training together. So this has been the the coolest thing for me is to see a, a kid where I got to start working with him as that journey into college was just beginning. I've got to coach him through all of his past attempts in college, the ups, the downs, the shoulder surgery, the tough losses, the amazing wins, the late night phone calls talking about plays that were just made or him sending tape of like, hey, these guys are doing this on on, on defense, what do you see? It's been really cool to go through all of those things and then to see his entrance in the NFL be this way. I told him the other day, there are only 40 people in the last 20 years that can say they were top two picks in the NFL draft. You're one of them. It's such an exciting way to go in. And, And speaking of winner, right? I know the Jets fans are so hungry for a winner, as you would say. But I know that winning falls on everybody's shoulders. It can't just fall on the quarterback. I can promise that Zach Wilson will do everything to the best of his ability in a winning way. He'll prepare like a winner. He'll train like a winner. He'll compete like a winner. He will do all of those things because he he already is a winner. The thing now is he's gonna try to go help turn the Jets organization into a winning organization. But I don't have a doubt in my mind, he will do everything in a winning way to help the organization turn around and get back to winning.
0: All right. Well, John, this has been great stuff. I can't thank you enough. I know our, our listeners really appreciate it as well. Thanks so much for your time. Yep. You're welcome. And welcome to the third quarter. It's Twitter time. And we are starting with a timely question from at Sprigsy Fresh. Do you think the Jets will look to trade for a defensive tackle or sign a free agent defensive tackle with Quinnen Williams rehabbing. For those of you who missed it, Williams is having or has had surgery to repair a fractured foot. It's an 8-10 to week timetable, I'm told. So no, I don't think they're going to go out and get a big name defensive tackle to replace him because from what I understand, they expect him to be up and running by early July, which would give him a two-week runway before training camp. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit of a concern. We're talking about a fractured foot for a 300-pound man. That cannot be uh, enjoyable for him. But this is a fifth metatarsal fracture, which is pretty standard. It's not a Jones fracture, which would be a lot worse. So I think the Jets feel okay about that. And they expect him back. Next one. We got a lot of questions about this, so i kind of clumping it all into one instead of individual a lot of questions about what they're going to do at cornerback and will they sign Richard Sherman? I think the jets are going to stand pat at cornerback right now. Uh, I don't know if I agree with it because they have a very unproven group of corners. They really didn't address it until later in the draft, but I think Robert Sala is okay with playing young guys. So I think they're going right now with Bryce Hall and bless Austin as the two starters with uh Javelin Guidry in the slot. And, they got the young kids behind them. They got Lamar Jackson last, from last year. This year they drafted Brendan Eccles. They also drafted Justin Pinnock. Uh, they still have Ballantyne, the ex-giant. And then in the slot, they're going to go with, uh, you know, uh, Anthony, not Anthony Carter, Michael Carter the II, uh, who they got out of Duke, who is a free safety slash nickel type guy. And he will be uh, used in the slot. So I think they're going to run it. Run it back with all these young guys and see what happens. So, no, I don't think they're going to go after Richard Sherman. Next, from at sports underscore fi 3 do you feel this is a better infrastructure in Florham Park for a young quarterback in Zach Wilson compared to what Sam Darnold had in 2018? Uh, yes, I do. This is a better infrastructure in terms of coaching. Uh, they're not on the hot seat. This is the first year of this staff. I think they're in lockstep with the front office, which wasn't the case in 2018. And I think they're installing a proven system, a quarterback-friendly system. 2018, it was a new coordinator, hadn't been in the league a few years. A uh, lot of uncertainty in 2018. This year, I think it's all set up for a young quarterback. At MoMen123, the roster still needs a fullback. We missed out on Ben Mason from Michigan. What's the plan Actually, during the draft, they did have some conversations about Ben Mason not deciding to go with a fullback. So what's the plan? I think Trevon Wesco gets first dibs at the job. He's kind of a hybrid guy, a tight end slash H-back. They're going to give him a shot at fullback. And if it doesn't work out, I think they're prepared to go without a fullback. If you look at the Green Bay offense, which is very, very similar to what the Jets run, you have Matt LaFleur up in Green Bay. Here you have Mike LaFleur. And Green Bay doesn't use a lot of fullback. San Francisco does, so sort of the other cousin of this offense. And I think the Jets are prepared to do more of a Green Bay version if they have to. And the last one comes from at Darth Zenos. Will the Jets run a lot of four wide to get Elijah Moore and Jamison Crowder on the field at the same time? Very interesting question. Again, going back to the roots of this style of offense, if you look at San Francisco and Green Bay, my answer would be no. San Francisco did not run a single play last year with four wide, according to our ESPN stats and research, and Green Bay ran only three plays in four wide and you look at some teams like buffalo and arizona they were over 200 plays a piece in four wide so uh it doesn't sound like they're going to go in that direction for the jets so they'll have to figure out ways to get more crowder on the field with mims davis and keelan cole and look this is a good problem to have a year ago the jets would have given anything to have five capable receivers (whistles) I'd like to wrap up this week's episode by pointing out what a fascinating time this is for the Jets. Looking back on all the years I've covered the team, which is a long time, 32 years, I can't ever remember a situation like this. And what I mean by that is you have a rookie quarterback, a highly, highly drafted rookie quarterback, a rookie coach, and such a young, rebuilding team. Now, when Sam Darnold was drafted in 2018, Todd Bowles was in his fourth year. When Mark Sanchez came aboard in 09, a highly drafted quarterback, Rex Ryan was a rookie coach, so you had that dynamic. But that was an older team he walked into. You know, he walked into a team that really was a contender the previous year and had a really good offensive line, a really good defense. So that was different. And then in 2000, Chad Pennington was a first-round pick. And, yes, he had a first-year head coach in Al Gro, but that, too, was an older team, a team that had a, a veteran quarterback in Vinny Testaverdi and a bunch of older, proven players. And Chad didn't play for two and a half years, or a little less, maybe two and a quarter years. So this is really a unique situation, at least in terms of my time around the team. So that'll make it a fun year. Uncharted Waters, as, as they say, with the rookie coach in Robert Sala, The young Zach Wilson, a rookie quarterback who you know is going to be playing a lot this year, probably week one. And so that should make it a fun ride, probably a bumpy ride. But, you know, the NFL is a roller coaster. I'd like to thank you for stopping by on this week's episode. Please rate us, subscribe on uh, Google or Apple or Spotify. I want to thank this week's uh, guest, John Beck the former BYU and NFL quarterback and a uh, close confidant and instructor for Zach Wilson. Thank my producer, Jeff Scopin, and we'll see you next time on Flight Deck.